Well, good morning to each and every one of you. How many people are glad to be here today on site? It's so good to see your smiling eyes. It really is. And someday I'll be able to see your smiling face. And a shout out welcome to those in one of the overflow rooms. We're just so glad that you've joined us here on site. And a shout out to our church family that are watching online and to our many guests here today and from here in the city of Ottawa watching online across Canada and even around the world. I can't tell you how excited I was to be back on site to see you face to face. Whew, how many people are ready for God's Word? Come on, you're ready for God's Word? Well, we're going to start a brand new seven-part sermon series that we're calling One Another. And there are actually a hundred one another sayings in the Bible. We're not going to look at all of them. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank God for that. And we're going to look just at a number of them. But today, I want to talk to you about encouraging one another. And we're going to zero in on that expression, encourage one another. And there's a scripture we're going to look at today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, down to verse 18. I think it's the most powerful scripture on encouraging one another. So I want to share with you today five things on encourage one another from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to verse 18. So if you brought your Bible, the good old leather-bound Bible, or if you've got a handheld device, turn with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The first thing I want to talk to you about for a couple of moments, number one, I want to talk to you about the problem of sorrow. I want to talk to you about grieving. I want to talk to you about sorrow. And Paul is writing a pastoral letter to a bunch of new believers that are in the church in Thessalonica. And these believers in the church of Thessalonica were going through lots of persecution. It was really, really tough days. And he becomes very pastoral, and he talks to them specifically about a question that they were battling, that they needed some clarity on. Let's read about it in verse 13. He said, brothers and sisters, he's writing to the new believers in Thessalonica, we don't want you to be uninformed. Uninformed means that I don't want you to be ignorant. Uninformed means I want to bring clarity to the confusion about those who sleep in death. You see, in those days, there was a bunch of new believers that had passed away and died. And yet Paul and the church of Thessalonica were believing in the imminent return of Jesus. They really believed that Jesus was coming back in their day. And so 2,000 years have gone by. But then these people died. And there's many believers in the church thought those people who died, they got ripped off. They didn't get to experience the rapture. They didn't get to experience this, this idea of being caught up in the air to be with Jesus. And so Paul and the believers were struggling and they were thinking that these believers were being wretched to be ignorant about those who sleep in death. The Greek word that's used here for sleep, we get the English word cemetery. And, and a cemetery is a dormitory for those who have died. And in many ways, we think of the body that is sleeping. But church, we do not believe that a soul sleeps. We believe that a body is sleeping. And when your loved one passes away and they are placed in the ground, their body may be sleeping, but their soul, their spirit is alive. There is great teaching that Paul gave in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and great teaching that Jesus gave in John chapter 14. But in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8, Paul said to the church in Corinth, to be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord. 
And so when a believer passes away, their body goes into the ground, but their spirit goes to be with the Lord. And when a loved one passes away, we are, we are not saying goodbye. We are saying good night. We are saying we will see you again on that great resurrection day when God awakens the body and unites it with the spirit. But Paul is clearing up the confusion. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be confused in this. I don't want you to be ignorant on this. I don't want you to be uninformed. He said, so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Church, there are two kinds of people in the world, people with hope and people without hope. And with Jesus, you've got hope. Come on, somebody shout amen. Without Jesus, you don't have hope. You see, friends, you will live for eternity. The question is, where will you spend eternity? I feel for people who don't have Jesus because if you don't have Jesus death comes and and it feels like it's over and you feels like it finished church when you're a believer we understand that all mankind lives for eternity will you spend eternity in heaven or will you spend eternity in hell this world is not my home I'm living life for eternity I can't wait to see Jesus I can't wait to spend eternity with Jesus come on somebody give a little witness to that this morning And so Paul is saying, I don't want you to grieve like those with no hope. In Acts chapter 7, 59 and verse 60, Stephen was persecuted. In fact, so much so he was martyred for his faith. And as they're stoning him to death, he looked up to heaven and he said, God, I commit my spirit to you. And then they martyred him. And it says in verse 60, he fell asleep. And Acts chapter 7, 59 and 60 separates the reality that the body sleeps, but the soul, the spirit is awake and with God. And so church, we don't have to grieve like those with no hope. I have people telling me all the time, Mark, when I go to a funeral, what do I say? I don't know how to comfort people. Hear me, friends. Your presence means more than your words. I would be hard-pressed to think that people remember my funeral sermons, but they remember my presence. In Job chapter 2, write it down. In Job chapter 2, there's some great teaching in verse 11 down to verse 13 how to comfort, support people that are going through difficulty. And Job had lost his livelihood. He lost his family. He had boils covering his body from head to toe. And three of his friends went to him where he was at. And when someone is grieving, go to where they are at. And when they go to Job, he didn't look the same. You, you, you may not look the same. And when they got to where he was, they went there with an intention to comfort him and encourage him. But in verse 13 of Job chapter 2, it tells us that they sat on the ground beside him for seven days and seven nights. They didn't say a word for seven days or seven nights. The mouth might have been silent, but they were present with him. Church, your presence to someone who is Grieving means more to them than the words that you say. But the first thing I want to point out to you, number one, number one is the problem of sorrow. 
And you're going to find out this morning that I don't have prophetic timeline charts. I don't. I'm not going to flash on the screen the timeline. In fact, I'm not here to debate with you pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip. And, and, and some of you today, you're like, Mark, I'm pre-tribulation. Some of you are like, no, I'm, I'm mid-tribulation, and I lean more towards a pre-tribulation. But I'm not going to be dogmatic this morning. I don't want us to get caught up theologically debating. I want us to be gripped by the reality that Jesus is coming back soon. I don't want us to have our heels dogmatically gripped into the ground. I want us to know that Jesus is coming back. How many people believe Jesus is coming back? He is coming back. The second thing I want to talk to you about for a few moments, the promise is sure. Number one, the problem of sorrow. Then number two, the promise is sure. And in verse 14, Paul hinges his talk on the bedrock of Christianity. He gives us the truth of Christianity, for we believe that Jesus died. Jesus died. Number two, Jesus rose again. How many people this morning are glad that Jesus died? How many people are glad that Jesus was raised to life? And so Paul picks up that theme in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, he said, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power on resurrection day that will raise the bodies of the believers to life, and they will be reunited with the Spirit in heaven. He's talking here about the resurrection of the believers believers, not the resurrection of the unbelievers. The resurrection of the unbelievers in Revelation 20 verse 5 will happen after the thousand year millennium. He's talking about the resurrection of the believers. And Paul says here to the church in Thessalonica, look at verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and we believe that he rose again. And so we believe based on that, that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And then he says these words, according to the Lord's word, which speaks of authority. It speaks of a revelation that Paul had received from Jesus. And so the three pillars of our assurance of the promise that is sure is number one, the redemption of Jesus. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus. And number three, the revelation of Jesus to Paul. The promise is sure. But then there's number three, the participants are certain. And there's really two categories of the participants, the believers who are alive and the believers who have already passed away. And so Paul says in verse 15, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord Church, don't miss it. Paul said, we who are still alive. Paul is talking about himself and he's talking about the believers in the Thessalonian church. He was convinced. He was convinced that his generation would experience the rapture. I pray that I'd be convicted with the same conviction of Paul. I, I want to live my life like Jesus is coming back in my generation. If Paul some 2,000 years ago was convinced Jesus was coming back then, the issue is not was he coming back then. The issue is he was living his life with the imminent soon return of Jesus. And church, we need to live our lives like Jesus is coming back today. Amen? And so Paul said, Paul said, we tell you that we are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord, anytime you read the words, the coming of the Lord, it encompasses a span of time. The first coming is when God sent his son Jesus, the baby in the manger. 
The second coming begins with the rapture, when Jesus comes back, and the dead in Christ rise first. Those that are alive and remain are caught up to be with the Lord. And then the second coming of the Lord ends when Jesus comes back with his church to bring in the thousand-year millennial reign. Someone worded it this way, if you believe in pre-tribulation, it's like a two-act play, the second coming. The first act is the rapture. The second act is Jesus coming back with his church to bring in the millennial reign. And there's a seven-year intermission in between called the tribulation. And Paul said, we tell you that we are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And so Paul gives some clarity to this, and he's telling the Thessalonian believers that those that were believers who have already died get priority precedence. We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The participants are certain. And then there's number four, the plan is set. And I want to quickly give to you eight things about the plan that is set. And I want to talk to you about eight things verse 16 and verse 17, the plan is set. Number one, it starts with a sudden descent. Paul said the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Not a substitute, not a stand-in, not an angel, not a messenger. Jesus himself will come down from heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, Luke gives us an amazing nugget of truth that he pens in the first chapter of the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, it's the ascension day of Jesus. And the disciples are looking up to the heavens, and Jesus ascended. And then an angel, two angels dressed in white stood beside them and said, Man of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. It starts with a sudden descent. But then number two, it moves to a loud command. It says with a loud command, not a soft command, a loud command. And it's a military term. And if anybody here on site or online has been in the military, you know the command of the sergeant. You know the command of your superior. And they might, they might command you to fall in, come into place. You've been at ease. But everybody fall in. Everybody get ready for what's next. And so Paul picks up a military term, and he's saying to the Thessalonian believers that the day is going to come, that Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to call us in. He's going to command us with a loud voice, this is the moment you're going to heaven. It's going to be a loud command. Let me give you several verses. John chapter 5, verse 25. In John chapter 5, verse 25, let me read it to you. John 5, verse 25. Very truly I tell you... A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Let me give you another verse. Let me give to you, if I could please, John chapter 11, John chapter 11, verse 43. And in John chapter 11, it's, it's a foreshadow of resurrection day. And this is where Lazarus died. And Jesus goes to where Lazarus was in the grave. And in verse 43 of John chapter 11, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. One Bible scholar said it's a good thing he said Lazarus, because if Jesus didn't say Lazarus, every grave in that cemetery would have been emptied. And he said, Lazarus, come out. 
And on that great day when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a loud command. It's a militant shout. He's calling us to fall in. Get ready. You're coming to heaven. And then there's number three, the voice of the archangel. The Bible says with the voice of the archangel. We don't have to be in mystery. What's the name of the archangel? You read Daniel chapter 12 or you read Jude chapter 9. You'll learn that the archangel was Michael. And so when Jesus is coming down and descending, giving a loud command, in the background behind him will be the echoing of Michael, the archangel. And then there's number four, the trumpet call of God. He says, with the trumpet call of God. You want an interesting study? Study the word trumpet in the Bible. There's a lot of references and there's a lot of, of meanings to it. One is found in the book of Exodus chapter 19, where it talks about a trumpet being sounded where the people will come and meet God. But I think the scripture I want to give you is Zechariah 9 verse 14. You can read it. In Zechariah chapter 9 verse 14, it speaks of a militant shout of a trumpet or the militant sound of a trumpet where the trumpet would be sounded where, where they would actually go and rescue the people. And when the rapture takes place, the trumpet will sound and God is coming to rescue us from this earth. And some of you are feeling down and discouraged and feeling low. I've got a word for you today. Jesus is coming back someday. This world is not our home. Life isn't easy. Cancer is tough. Life is challenging, but we're going we're gonna to go to be in eternity with Jesus. Come on, somebody give a little clap offering of praise to our Lord God today. And then there's number five, a great resurrection. And here's where Paul actually, actually calms the concern of the Thessalonian believers. He said, the dead in Christ will rise first. It's a statement of priority. He's telling them that we who are alive are going to go be with the Lord, but those who have preceded us in death, they are going to be raised first where their bodies will come in connection with their soul. Their body is sleeping, but their soul is alive. And on that great day, their body will connect. Then there's number six, a glorious rapture. I have people say to me, Mark, you actually believe in the rapture? And then they say to me, the word rapture is not in the Bible. And guess what, church? The exact word rapture is not in the Bible. But the theme of the rapture is. The word rapture comes from a Latin word, raptio or raptio. And it's a Latin word which speaks of a Greek word because the New Testament was written in Greek. Look at verse 17. After that, after the dead in Christ rise first, those of us that are alive and are left will be caught up. Underline the words caught up because that's the Greek word that's been translated in English caught up that the Latin word raptile comes and we get the English word rapture. Let me tell you what caught up means. You got to write this down. It actually means a change of location. When the rapture takes place, we all going to change location. We're leaving earth and we're going to heaven. It doesn't just mean a change of location. It means to be snatched away speedily. When the rapture takes place, we will be 
taken quickly and speedily from earth to heaven. It doesn't just mean to be snatched away speedily. It means to be seized by force, and it means to be rescued from danger. You see, friends, I'm glad to declare to you that someday when the last trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first, those of us who are alive and remain, oh, church, wouldn't it be great if we're the generation that experienced the rapture? I'd be pretty fine if I don't get this sermon done and the rapture takes place. I'm pretty fine if I don't get my, 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 my Sunday chicken and the rapture takes place. I'm okay if I don't get to see the Stanley Cup game because the rapture takes place. I'm okay if I don't get my summer vacation because the rapture takes place. I'm telling you, church, Jesus is coming back someday and someday soon, and he's going to change our location from earth to heaven. He's going to snatch us away and seize us by force speedily and instantly. The Bible says it's going to be like in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the dead in Christ will rise first. The Bible teaches us that it will be sudden, it will be speedy, and it will be quick. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it tells us that there will be an instantaneous transformation. And I'm here to declare to you today that someday, someday, Jesus is coming back. There's some in our church family. You're grieving. I had a lady in our church call me yesterday, and she said, Pastor, I've got some bad news. My father, 60 years of age, was healthy. He was out for a walk in a park in Ottawa on Friday and instantly died, suddenly and unexpectedly. I was sitting on the patio yesterday with a man in our church who's wife, 57 years of age, just died of cancer, and he's grieving. In the last two weeks, the assistant general superintendent of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, David Hazard, succumbed to cancer and went into eternity. I have a picture of my Bible college class on the wall in my office, and there's, there's a gentleman, Pastor Ralph. He's right, right at the top because his last name starts with the letter B. And Pastor Ralph has pastored many years in the province of Newfoundland. He's been pastoring probably one of the most progressive churches on the island, doing an amazing job for Jesus. On Mother's Day, he goes out for a drive, has a head-on collision, and instantly steps into eternity. You have no guarantee of the rest of the day. Church, are you ready if today is the day that you step into eternity? Are you ready? The glorious rapture can take place today. It can take place tomorrow. It can take place next week. I want to have the same urgency as Paul did. He was convinced it was his generation. And church, if we are convinced it's our generation, we will do all we can to win people for Jesus. We can spend our time in the theological debate room and argue pre-trip, mid-trip, argue this, argue that. But I think what God wants us to do, to have our theological conviction, but have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and go out and win people for Jesus Christ. If we truly believe he's coming back soon, it will change our missional approach to win people for Jesus. And I don't want to be a pastor who's lazy and complacent and not concerned. I want to be a pastor that's gripped with the imminent soon return of Jesus. 
And I pray everyone on site, everyone in the main odd, on the main level, the balcony and overflow room, or watching online, that you would have the same urgency that Jesus is coming back soon. Today could be the day. Come on, Woodville. Give a loud clap offering of praise to our Lord God. Number seven, a grand reunion. A grand reunion together with them in the clouds. Grand reunion. You know what, friends? When the rapture takes place, we're going to be united with people like Adam and Eve and Isaac and Abraham and Moses and Jacob and Esther and Sarah and the 12 disciples. We're going to be united with, I can't wait. I'm going to be reunited with my daddy. I'm going to be reunited with my grandma, my grandpa. I'm going to be reunited with my friends. You've been to some good family reunions, but on rapture day, the church, all past and all present, are going to be united united together. Anybody looking forward to the great reunion? Anybody looking forward to seeing your loved one soon someday? A grand reunion. Either he's coming back for us or with us. A grand reunion. But then there's number eight. A joyful meeting. Paul said to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. He chooses a Greek word that's been translated meat, underline the word meat. The word meat in the original Greek is a word that's used of, of people going to meet a king or going to meet a person of nobility. But it has another layer to it, not just going to meet a king or a nobility, but rushing into the presence of a king or a nobility. Fanny Crosby one of my favorite hymn writers. She wrote hymns like Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. She wrote the hymn, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. She wrote the hymn, Near the Cross. She wrote the hymn, To God be the glory for the great things he's done. She wrote the hymn, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. She wrote 9,000 hymns. Can I list them all to you this morning? But I don't know if you know this about Fanny Crosby at two months of age. A doctor who's doing his best made a, a decision that didn't work out well for her because she was blinded at two months of age. And she wrote 9,000 hymns. One day a friend said to her, Miss Crosby, the gift that God's given you to write hymns is amazing, but of all the gifts that God has given you, do you ever wish that God would give you the gift of sight? And she looked to this friend and she said, absolutely not. She said, in fact, if I could have one gift, the gift I would ask for is that I was blind at birth, not blinded at two months. And they looked at Sister Crosby and they said, how can you say that? She said, if I was blind at birth, then the first face that I would see someday is the face of Jesus. Come on, give a clap off and a praise to our Lord. You see, church, going to heaven, it's going to be great to be reunited with your loved ones. 
It's going to be great to connect with the Old Testament saints and the disciples of Jesus and grandma and grandpa and uncle and aunt and friend and, and husband. And some of you, your spouse died suddenly and early in life. And some of you, a child has died way before the time that you think is right. And some of you, you're grieving. But I've got a word for you today. We don't have to grieve like those with no hope. Jesus is coming back someday. And Paul said, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Just like they would rush into the presence of an earthly king. We're going to rush into the presence of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're going to fall on our knees and worship like they did in the book of Revelation. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, 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 holy is him. And some of you might think heaven's going to be boring. It's not going to be boring because heaven's not about the walls or the streets of gold. It's not even just about seeing your loved ones. It's about seeing Jesus. And when we get to heaven, if you're wondering where I am, I'm going to do my best to push through the crowd just to get close to my Jesus, just so I can touch the, the hem of his robe, just to be in the presence of Jesus. How many people are waiting? You can't wait to see your Lord Jesus. Life is tough. Life is hard. Life is difficult, but heaven is real. A joyful meeting to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. How long is forever? Forever is forever, and forever is forever, and forever, and forever, and forever, and forever. The last thing I want to leave with you today is number five, the purpose is to strengthen us. Number one, the problem is sore. Number two, the promise is sure. Number three, the participants are certain. Number four, the plan is set. Number five, the purpose of this is to strengthen us. So Paul wraps it up. He said, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And the Greek word encourage could be translated comfort. And it's a Greek word paraclete, which is the same word that is used for Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit is our encourager. Holy Spirit is our comforter. And if Holy Spirit is our encourager and our comforter, let's be people of encouragement. Let's speak words of encouragement in difficult days. But may the words of 1 Thessalonians 4 be wrapped around you. And may Holy Spirit minister to your broken, your challenge, your your discouraged heart, the encouragement to is that we're not going to spend eternity on this earth. We're going to spend eternity. Come on, Woodville. Come on, Woodville. We're going to spend eternity. We're going to spend eternity in heaven. I want to invite you to stand to your feet all across this place. And I want to ask that every head would be bowed and everyone's eyes would be closed. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, The question I want to ask you today as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if today was the day that Jesus came back, if today was the day that you stepped into eternity, if today was the day that you died, do you know that you know that you're going to heaven? Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, young person, child, On-site, main level, the balcony, in an overflow room, watching online. Are you ready? Are you ready? You're standing here today on-site or you're watching online and you can't answer that question with a definite yes. Before the service closes, I want to give you an opportunity to make your peace with God. 
If you can't answer the question with a definite, yes, I'm ready, but you want to be ready, I want to lead you in this prayer. We're going to join you as you pray this prayer. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I make my peace with you. Today I say yes to Jesus. I receive you in my life. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, open your eyes. Can we have a little celebration moment right now? Come on, church, celebrate. I really believe that there's a number of people right here on site and a number of you that are watching online that you asked Jesus to be the center of your life. You made the best decision of your life. And if you don't attend a life-giving, Bible-believing church, we'd love to invite you to join us in the journey on site, online, 9 or 11, every Sunday. In fact, if you ask Jesus in your life, you're on site, on your way out, drop by a table on the way out. We got a Bible for you. It's free. We got a little booklet for you. It's called Follow. Go on our church website and register for our follow class. It happens on Wednesday night. And we're going to help ground you and grow you in your new faith in Jesus. Take the next step and be baptized in water. Did you know during this COVID season, we've had many people come to know Jesus. In fact, we're getting ready to water baptize 19 people in water baptism. Come on. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? Exciting. But church, I want to challenge you that if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, that we would be gripped with the imminent soon return of Jesus. He is coming back. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. Could be this week, could be this month, could be this year, could be our lifetime. I don't know the when, but if we're so convicted that he can and is, he can come back in our generation. We know he is coming back. And I pray that we'd have the same conviction that the apostle Paul had. And if we do, it will make us so much more missional. That we will not want to just be a people that come and hear a word and worship in a few songs. But we would be a people that say, I want to do all I can to reach our city, our nation, and our world for Jesus. I can't. I can't sit back and do nothing. I want to be gripped with the truth. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. I said he is coming back, church. He is coming back. He is coming back. I believe that God is about to lead us into a post-pandemic revival. I believe that the best days for his church are the days to come. And I believe if we're serious about this and we humble ourselves and seek his face, we're going to experience the harvest of souls like we Whitville have never seen yet. And this building cannot contain what God is about to do. I want you to look around this building. There might be 15% in this auditorium today and people in the overflow rooms, but I could see this building someday jam-packed. I can see an invitation given at the end of the service, and I could literally see scores, 20s and 30s and 40s people getting saved. I can see people running to this altar and getting 
getting saved and healed and delivered and set free from the power of God. I believe God is about to light a fire over this church and the fire is going to burn and the fire is going to burn in this city and in this province and this nation. I believe that the best days for this church are the days ahead. But I'm sensing God is saying to me to say to the house, get gripped all over again with the soon return of Jesus Christ. Come on, put your hands together and give a loud clap offering of praise to our Lord God. So pastor, in a couple of moments, I'm going to close this in prayer and share some final notes, but I know you couldn't wait to be on set. I couldn't wait to see their smiling eyes, and you couldn't wait to be in the house with people worshiping. I'll tell you, friends, it's not all that fun preaching into the barrel of a camera. And for Pastor Brad and the team, they've done excellent. They've been on the platform leading in worship, knowing that you were at home leading in worship. But Pastor, we couldn't wait till we got together to worship right here. Now, i got a word for you, and I feel the Lord telling me to say this right now, that this is just warm-up for heaven. Because someday we're going to get to heaven. We're going to be with people from every tribe, every nation, people from every generation. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And we're going to be in the presence of Jesus. So you know what? Kathy, you've led some choirs in your day. This is choir practice, isn't it? We're getting ready for the great day when his church are going to be gathered around the throne of Jesus, worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, Pastor, sing, baby, sing, my friend. Let's lift our hands. Let's worship together in these final moments. Oh, now we rest in the promise my confidence is your faithfulness. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithful. Come on, I will rest. I will rest in your promises. My confidence. Come on, church. Oh, is your faithfulness, and I will 